do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may be able to prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12:2. This is Resistance and Reformation on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. During his term as vice president, Thomas Jefferson traveled to Baltimore on official business. He asked for a room in the city's best hotel, but not recognizing the great man, who always traveled quite modestly without a retinue of servants and dressed rather comfortably in soiled working clothes, the proprietor turned him away. Soon after Jefferson's departure, the innkeeper was informed that he had just sent away the author of the Declaration of Independence and uh, the hero of the American War for Independence. Horrified, he promptly dispatched his employees to find the vice president and to offer him as many rooms as he required. Jefferson who had already taken a room at another hotel, was not at all flattered or amused. He sent the man who had found him back with the message, Tell the innkeeper that I value his good intentions highly, but if he has no room for a dirty farmer, he shall have none for the vice president." It was not merely the spirit of democratic solidarity or of judicial propriety that picked Jefferson's ire in that situation. He had always prided himself as a man of the soil, first and foremost. He was America's preeminent agrarian theorist. He was an avid gardener and a skilled botanist. His gardening journals have inspired generations of farmers and planters, and his agricultural innovations helped to make American harvests the envy of the world. He strongly believed that an attachment to the land was the chief mark of an advanced culture. He believed that the fate of the nation was ultimately decided by the attitude of that nation to its soil. He said, widespread distribution and careful stewardship over property is the most tangible attribute of liberty. The faith of a people, the vision of a people, the destiny of a people may be divined by its corporate concern for the soil. All throughout the founding era and beyond, a similar refrain was regularly sounded. It is a refrain that likewise can be discerned throughout the scriptures. Land and liberty are inextricably linked. Take the story of Abraham, for instance. According to the Genesis account, the Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in the course of time in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram departed 
as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites, the Kenizzites, and the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gergesites, and the Jebusites, all in this land. So he struck out for the wilds of the unknown. He left the security of home, family, and friends on the faith of a promise. Unsure of his destination, uncertain of his status, and undecided about his future, he put his whole trust in this seemingly impossible promise. And what was this promise? What could possibly have been so enticing to Abram to uproot himself? God promised to make Abram into Abraham the father of a multitude of nations. He promised to establish an everlasting covenant with his descendants. He promised to be his shield and his very great reward. He promised to make his name great, to bless those who blessed him and curse those who cursed him, and to bless him all the days of his life. But central to all these promises was the one promise, the promise of land. God chose Abram to go forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and from his relatives and from his father's house in order to take possession of land. And so, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a land which he was going to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, for he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Land was central to the promise God gave Abram, and it was central to the mission that God gave him as well. The promised land was promised land. In fact, all through the Bible, land and faith are interrelated in at least three essential ways. First, God gives land so that we may have a place to worship. Land affords us with a holy place where we can draw into God's presence and render him due honor and praise. It provides us with a sanctuary. In the beginning, God planted a garden. It was lush with every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food, and it was lavishly irrigated by the headwaters of four great rivers. In the midst of this luxuriant garden, God placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thus establishing his covenantal presence. God set aside this land so that he could meet with man, ordaining true worship, true fellowship, and true sanctuary. Second, God gives land so that we may have a place to rest. Land affords us with a dwelling place where we can retire into the comfortable confines of the family hearth. It provides us with a home. 
The garden sanctuary was located in the easternmost corner of the land of Eden. That land was a vast mountainous domain that, like the garden, was well-watered, lavishly stocked, gloriously adorned, and fabulously furnished. It was a genuine paradise, laden high with precious stones, jewels, and minerals. God placed man in the midst of this paradise to live out his days, establishing a godly seed. God set aside this land so that man could have a home. Third, God gives land so that we may have a place to work. Land affords us with an arena for the practical outworking of our faith. It provides us with vocation. The garden was set in the midst of Eden, and Eden was set in the midst of the world. It was in the various outlying lands of the world that man was to exercise his authority and diligence, bringing to bear God's order and God's purpose for all things. The lands downstream were rich and good, but they needed the subordinated rule of God in man. So God set aside the land so that man could work and properly exercise his vocation in the earth. Thomas Jefferson was thus by no means alone in his conviction that the protection and proper administration of land, of private property, is central both to the expression of faith and the preservation of freedom. For the men who forged America's great experiment in liberty, it was one of the cornerstones of both resistance and reformation. I'm George Grant on the Fight, Laugh, Feast Network. For more information and for resources, go to George Grant.com.